You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Psalm chapter 16. If you're using one of our church Bibles, you can find that on page 478. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. The sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood and I will not speak their names with my lips. Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who counsels me, even at night when my thoughts trouble me. I always let the Lord guide me, because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My body also rests securely. For you will not abandon me to Sheol. You will not allow your faithful, faithful one to decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everybody, we are officially now into the new year, you know. It doesn't really happen on the 1st of January. It doesn't happen until now. It's really the 1st of February that's the new year, right? Uh, It's when school goes back. Especially if you've got little kids, that's when the year really gets underway. We start doing things again in church after going into hibernation for a month or so. And this is it. This is 2023. How do you feel about that? I mean, here's 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 one way to think about it. How confident are you about this year ahead? How confident are you about the plans that you have, the things that you expect? What's your level of confidence at this point? You know, they, they run these kinds of surveys for economics. They, they have a, what's called consumer confidence ratings, um, which were going really well up until a couple of years ago, and then they tanked to, like, the lowest levels in recent memory. Um, people's confidence about, you know, just being able to afford to put bread on the table or have a job or buy a house is pretty low. And I think probably our confidence, generally speaking, about the year ahead is pretty low as well. Certainly, if, at least if you compare it to recent history, I mean like the last 30 years, if we, if we take that period of time, remember, do you guys remember when everything was just going fine? in the world. Pretty much from like the 90s, the the beginning of the 90s up until 
the pandemic, things were going pretty well around the world. I mean, you know, there's always issues, but we had this kind of upward trajectory. And uh, it was the the, uh, historian and philosopher, I think it's Francis Fukuyama, who said that he declared, I think it was in the early 90s, the end of history. And what he meant by that was that up until that point, the early 90s, human history was characterized by conflict and turmoil and just horrible, being horrible to one another. And most of the governments were dictatorial and there was a huge gap between rich and poor and class systems. And, and he, he, what he meant by the end of history was, like, we are beyond that now. We have sort of reached the, the high point. We have reached, we've sort of arrived. The human journey has, has flourished. And he predicted that the the global politics would be characterized by liberal Western democracies. It's the end of history. We're we're good now. And you had along with that this sort of massive globalization effort. You had um, the, the distribution of wealth, certainly not equally around the world, but you had far fewer people living in poverty than you did in the past far less famine, everything was looking good. And that, was, that ran from the 90s up until a few years ago. And um, some of you are, are, are older than me, some are younger, but one way you can think about this is if you have kids now like I do, they are definitely, without a doubt, growing up in a much more uncertain environment than any of us did. If you're an 80s kid like me, a 90s kid like Josh, or even, even if you're a little older than that and you're a baby boomer, everything from then until this last few years was going pretty swell. The trajectory was good. And there was a certain level of security that we hadn't experienced globally since, since the Cold War. And then we had a global pandemic. And it was just like, it was like, it was like in a cartoon when they played the screech break noise. And suddenly, everything fell apart. We've had the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. We've had weird sort of um, political alignments between countries that have no business being in bed with Russia or China. Suddenly, they're flocking to them. Unrest or tension between China and Taiwan. And the United States is imploding on itself at war with itself. And all of this means that globally speaking, I mean, if you could just take the globe as a person or the kind of collective consciousness of the global family, like, things are pretty tense. There isn't a great deal of confidence or security. And you know what? Maybe, maybe the fact that our confidence in humanity has been checked a little bit, maybe that's not such a bad thing. We've always believed a little bit too much in our own capacity to bring utopia to this world. Well, I don't know. A lot of this is probably uh, determined not just by circumstances, but by personality. Some of us are very optimistic people, some of us more pessimistic. But irrespective of personality or circumstance, a good question to ask yourself coming into a new year is, What am I confident in? Or maybe another way of saying it is, what do I put my confidence in?
This psalm is a psalm of confidence. Confidence in God to be God. The Lord to be Lord. David, who wrote this, wants the people of Israel who he's writing for to have confidence, not in him as their ruler, but in Yahweh as their Lord. So this morning, all I really want to do for us is just challenge us to open ourselves up to the kind of transcendent confidence, the kind of peace that passes all understanding, the kind of contentment that comes not from when we focus ourselves on God, who he is, what he's like, and not on our present circumstances. Got it? This is how he begins, verse 1. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. We're going to talk quite a bit about refuge this year because we're going to, at various points, be asking the question, like, what, is, what, what are we here for? What is this church here for? We know and saw, particularly through the Sermon on the Mount series, we know that God is building his kingdom over across the face of the earth. We know what that kingdom is about. But what is it that he's particularly calling us to do in this little space that we've got, in this little space in history that we've got? And one of the things that's emerging through this sort of time of prayer and consultation is that, that God, we believe God wants us to be this place of refuge, place of refuge for people. That's a big part of the whole imagery of the red door is this place of refuge has been for a couple of thousands or at least a thousand years, a place of refuge. The church ought to be a place of refuge for people in need. Now, when we think, like, who are the people who need refuge? Um, Our minds probably go to vulnerable people, widows, orphans, right, the poor, the disenfranchised, disabled people, I don't know, immigrants, all of these people are just by virtue of their circumstances, vulnerable, and so they are in need of refuge. But what, something that struck me here is that the king of the nation of Israel, with all of the resources at his disposal, says, I need refuge. The one at the top of the tree says, protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. David's been around, you know. He's been through some circumstances as well. He's been through some calamities. In fact, his whole life has been characterized by existential threat to some extent or another. And so he knows what it is to respond to threat or uncertainty or lack of confidence or lack of contentment by running to the refuge, by running to God. Protect me, he says. A good question to ask yourself as you come into a new year and you're checking yourself, doing a sort of audit of yourself when it comes to confidence and contentment. Like, the question is, what do I do? Where do I run when I'm threatened? Threatened by unemployment, threatened by low bank accounts, threatened by eviction, threatened by disintegration of relationships, I don't know, threatened by bad weather in the middle of summer. 
Where do I run when I'm threatened? Because we all run somewhere. We all escape. Nobody runs towards a threat, broadly speaking. So where do you run? David says, I run to the Lord as my refuge. Now, he doesn't do that all the time, but this is a prayer, remember? This is like he is trying to set his, his heart and his mind on something. I run to the Lord for refuge. Where do you run? What's your escape? We have at our disposal like to an almost like unimaginable extent, we have more alternatives to run to than David did. We have so many forms of escape. Am I right? I mean, you just reach into your pocket right now. If you want to escape from this sermon, you have limitless possibilities. Limitless. Even if they're false. Even if they don't actually offer you any kind of security. or Even if actually, more than likely, they make you feel worse about yourself. You have at your disposal, in your pocket or whatever, you have limitless possibilities of escape. David says, out of all of the possibilities I have at my disposal, I run to you as my refuge. And he knows this is the only real secure place that exists. This is the only place where you will actually find in the midst of tumultuous times, it's the only safe harbor that you'll find. In you, he says, I take refuge in you. God is his protector. God is also his provider. So he says in verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. What a thing to say. Can you come before God and just without any pretense, without any like, without any facade for the, for the sake of the church watching you, like just between you and God, can you say, you are my Lord, that means you are my master. Everything I have, I submit to you. You are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. I have nothing good besides you. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Every good and perfect gift comes to us from the Father of lights. Everything good. I have no good. Nothing good besides you. I think this is the secret to confidence and contentment. Why is it? This is puzzling, right? Why is it, in my experience of traveling around, a little, I've done a bit of global travel, why is it that the most confident and content Christians are the poorest Christians? It doesn't make sense of what we believe as a society. You want confidence, you want contentment, you want security, get more stuff. 
like just insulate yourself with more stuff. And yet this is confounded by our real experience. The most content and the most confident Christians are the poor ones. It's because they can say, you are my Lord, I have nothing good besides you. It's been said before, the people who can say, Jesus is all I need, are the ones for whom Jesus is all they have. Good stuff is good. The good stuff is dangerous. Good stuff is good. God, please bless this church with good stuff. You know, I want I look out that back area, I want more good stuff. I want I want a whole I want a whole thing out there. I want I want I want I want I, I just I got dreams where there is vacant land. I want vibrancy. I want good stuff. But good stuff is dangerous. Because we have this propensity it's sort of inbuilt in our makeup. It's, in, it's part of our flesh. We have this propensity to take good stuff and then make it into, into God stuff. Was it Calvin who said our, our hearts are idol factories? We have this, it's, it's hardwired. We're like, Holy Spirit, please loose me from my flesh. But my, my flesh still goes after these things. And, and when I get them, rather than saying, you know, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, and let, me, let me use this for your glory and your service, for the good of your kingdom. Instead of that, I turn it into the kingdom. Yeah. That's called idolatry. Good things. Houses and cars and bank accounts and spouses and children, and pets and shoes, clothes and holidays and all of these amazing things. I can, I can hardly believe that God gives them to us with, with such lavishness. All of these things we can take and and fashion them into golden calves, you know? God delivers us out of slavery into, into what? Well, it's meant to be a land of blessing, and, and yet we turn it into this place of idolatry. So David says, verse 4, he says, listen, the sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, and I will not speak their names with my lips. I won't participate in this idolatry. There is no safety, no security there. Those temples are not refuges. They're places where there will be a multiplicity of sorrows. We go into these places of worship, these, these places of idolatry, thinking here I will find satisfaction. If I only had this thing, then I would be complete. And so we reveal ourselves to be idolaters. 
I know, you know, like it's easy to say, well, yeah, I'm actually not at risk of uh, pouring out drink offerings of blood. That's, I do that once a year at Halloween, but most of the time that doesn't happen. I'm going to speak their names with my lips, the, the names of these other gods. I'm, not, I never, I'm never addressing prayers to Buddha or whatever. Maybe you are. Most of us not. But listen, our idolatry is actually far more insidious than what David speaks of. At least for him, there were temples of child sacrifice and blood poured out and drinking blood and all. Like, at least when it's that obvious, it can be avoided. But what if our idolatry is woven into our very lives? Like the whole system that we are part of every day system of consumerism? What if the idolatry is the water that we drink? Then we're in trouble. We're in trouble if you actually want confidence and contentment in God, then you need to know that doesn't go with this. Like, leaving false gods and not worshipping false gods is like the first step of the Christian journey. This is not the really mature Christians in our church. They've left that stuff behind, but the rest of us are just struggling along. No, that's, they're the first steps forsaking false gods. So what if the most mature Christians in our church are all every day worshipping false gods? Then we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. So Leslie Newbegin was a, a missionary overseas and saw all of this graphic idol worship, blood sacrifices stuff going on. Then he went back to England and lived there for a while and he said, we're in more in trouble, we're more in trouble than those guys are. Because here the idolatry is insidious. It's easy to look at someone biting the head off a chicken and saying, wow, that's satanic. But what if Satan is much more involved in the, the, the system that we live in every day than that? This is what Tim Keller says about idols. This is from his book, Counterfeit Gods. It's a good one if you want to learn more about this whole thing. He says, an idol is whatever you look at it and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. That's your idol. I'm going to read that again. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, right, this is right down deep. That's why it requires surgery of a kind that no doctor can, can perform, all right? is Holy Spirit surgery. You, you look at that thing, that object, that person, those children, that house, whatever. If I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. That's the biggest threat to your... Huh, to your eternal life to your place in God's kingdom to your place at his table David says I won't do it 
I'm making a stand. I'm going to say in my heart, I'm, I'm writing this for the whole nation that I'm governing. I will not do it. You need to identify what these things are and put them to death. How are we going to loose ourselves from these idols? We're sort of chained to these idols. And, and, and it's not just as if we're being taken advantage of by the big you know, capitalist machine, which we are, but it's that we're active participants. You can't do any of this heart work unless you first say, I, I'm not just a victim, I'm a willing participant. I love this stuff. You have to close your ears to the message that's coming from the world without and the message from within. And open your ears to God's words. Living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to slice like a surgeon. Cut that tumor out. God's word says, verse 5 and 6, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You hold my future. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. That's what God's words are saying. That's the voice of a confident, contented Christian. You are my portion. That, like, you, the, the things that I need to flourish, you have them. You have them measured out for me. You're my cup of blessing. Whenever I'm tempted to think that blessings come from false gods, I remember, no, that cup that's, that's, that, that Psalm 23 says is, is flowing over, that cup of blessing, you have it for me. I've got a little cup. My kids were at a party yesterday. Each of them had a little cup with a name on it. That's what God's got for you. He's got a cup with your name on it. Cup of blessing. You hold my future. Whoa. Yeah. You hold my future. In the midst of uncertain times, God helped to save us from unprecedented times, right? What, in, in the midst of of this year that we're entering into now, you hold my future. My future is not determined by some cabal of dictator, one world, Machiavellian leaders. Your future is not held by any form of human government. Your future is not determined by your circumstances, whether you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a wife or a husband, any children, pets, house, cars. None of that determines your future. You, Lord, hold my future. 
The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That is, the, what God has marked out for you as your like, heartbeat of time on the face of the earth, This place that he has you is a, is a pleasant place because he chose it for you. He determined where and when you should live, the book of Acts reminds us. And not only do you have what you have, where you live, the time that you live in, determined by a good and gracious and sovereign God, but you have beyond that and beyond your imagination a beautiful inheritance waiting for you. And this, I would say, is the most powerful way of loosing yourself from the preoccupation and, frankly, the obsession that we have with present-day idols and concerns and worries and the stuff that, that sucks you in to this very narrow purview where you exist inside of it, maybe one or two people that you care about half as much as you care for yourself, and in that is your little cup of money and stuff. To get out of that tiny little speck that consumes most of our waking moments, to get out of that, you need to, to, you need to broaden to an eternal perspective. This is the key. The people that I know who have been most contented are not just the poor ones, but they're the ones who have their eyes fixed on eternity because it gives you perspective. Can I get an amen? If you haven't seen it, God help us. We need more people in our church to show you what it's like. What? Why is it that I can be confident in God and contented in this life? It's because I know I have a beautiful inheritance waiting for me. The Bible says, kept by God's power. So the day that God gets weak, you can lose your confidence. But until that day, you can be as confident as any person can be on the face of the earth. I have a beautiful inheritance. This is the way Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 1, all right? I'm going to read this. In him, he says, we also received an inheritance, not just salvation from our sins, not just forgiveness, not even just adoption, but an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one, capital O, the one, the Lord, Yahweh, who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we, who had already put our hope in Christ, might bring praise to his glory. That's your purpose. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed, right? This is what happens. The Holy Spirit comes in, makes a dwelling place inside of you, goes to war against the idol factory, starts chipping away at your flesh. And the Holy Spirit, he says, verse 14, the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Until Jesus comes again, the Holy Spirit's here. 
And if you just want to check your, you know, you, we all check our bank balances every 15 minutes. What am I up to, right? If you want to check your inheritance balance, you just go within. The Holy Spirit is there, present, dwelling, tabernacling in your heart. And that is your guarantee. That is your down payment. That's a little, a little bit of that inheritance you're going to get on the last day is already here. We have an inheritance that is mind-blowing, or, or maybe it's idol-blowing. It's idol-destroying. And so we can't, we just can't spend our years flirting with false gods. Not if we believe that, not if we believe that we've been saved by a sovereign God, by amazing grace, and that we have this eternal inheritance waiting for us. We can't. Can we, can we then go and, and have a little dalliance on the side with materialism? I don't think we can. Can we then spend most of our lives obsessed with this tiny heartbeat in time? All caught up with the goings-on of yesterday and today and tomorrow and just, just the preoccupation with this joke of a life that we live. I mean, it's a joke. The, the brevity of it the insignificance of it in light of eternity. I mentioned Amazing Grace. You know, it was written, the hymn was written by John Newton, and, and this is what he said about this, right? He says, this is, he, this is the, the, the ridiculousness of the way we spend our lives. He says, suppose a man was going to New York to take possession of a large inheritance, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if he, we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile. My carriage is broken. My carriage is broken. <laughs> so it is when we obsess over fleeting false gods, obsess over the, the circumstances of this heartbeat of a life to the exclusion of the eternity that awaits us. I did this this past week. I mean, my carriage literally broke. I, I, I bought this truck, you know, was meant to be able to take me into all the wild places I love to spend most of my time, and this, this four-wheel drive truck, and it is broken. It is really broken. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I can't move it an inch. It's waiting currently, has been for a week outside of my house, waiting for a tow truck. That's the only way it's moving anywhere, is on the back of a tow truck. And so my carriage broke, and I tell you, this entire week, I have been blubbering. Carriage is broken, my carriage. 
So why am I so affected by that? I don't even drive anyway. Like I, I drive like once a week. And yet I'm still, I'm obsessed with this loss. Oh, that's because my, my gaze, my perspective, my purview has shrunk down to a week in history and, and characterized and colored by a bad experience with a truck. Now, that's to take Newton's words a little bit too literally. What he's saying is, is a beautiful metaphor, actually, and a devastating one. This life is the last mile of the journey to New York, or what Bunyan called the celestial city, right? It's your last mile before you receive your inheritance, before you're ushered into an everlasting kingdom. And if you spend that mile blubbering and wringing your hands because you don't have something that you want, what a fool you are. I say in love. What a fool I am. And how uncertain will this life be? And how lacking in security and confidence and contentment. David says in verse 10 to 11, you will not abandon me to Sheol, to the, to the grave, to the place of the dead. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. Who knows that, by the way? Have you ever been in God's presence? It's like, it's like nothing else. It's actually, when you chase all those other things, thinking they'll satisfy you, whether it's a truck or anything else, a marriage, when you chase that, that's what you're really thirsting for is God's presence. I'll just, I'll just give you, like, that's just what's going on. That's what's going on for everyone here who doesn't know the first thing about faith in Jesus. Everyone is seeking after some experience of joy, like lasting joy. Can't find it in a needle. Can't find it in a bed, right? You can't find it in an occupation or in a house. There is nowhere you can find lasting joy apart from in the presence of God. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. The secret to confidence and contentment is to know the end from the beginning. It's to know the end from the beginning. Uncertainty comes when we are taking every day as it comes and we just don't know what's around the corner and what if COVID-23 shows up this year and what if, like the UK, we enter into a 10-year recession, time of austerity? What if someone invades our country, like people in Ukraine? Like what, all of this is uncertain because we don't know the end from the beginning. Our kids have started wanting to watch M-rated movies, you know, and it's, uh, it's a little unnerving whenever we've done it. We, like, we recently, I won't tell you the movie, but because you, 
because we, we'll feel ashamed. But we put, we put on this movie, and we were like, Renee and I were like, I'm pretty sure this is, I know it's rated M, but I'm pretty sure there's nothing in this that we need to worry about. Five minutes in, we were like struggling for the, oh, turn this off, just pull the plug out. Right? And so what we've done now is it's just, it's easy. Renee and I watch the movie, and then we watch it with the kids. We know the end from the beginning. We know that if it's safe and secure for our children, then we have confidence to watch it. Guys, that's what the Christian has. We know the end from the beginning. We've already seen the whole movie. You won't abandon me to Sheol. You're not going to just let me decay, Lord. You've got me. You've promised that no one can snatch me out of your hand. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. We know the end from the beginning. So who's not going to be confident? Who's not going to be content? We ought to stand out from those around us in this world of uncertainty. We ought to stand out as people with our chest puffed out a little bit. Not because we know the inside line on what stocks to buy or because we, I don't know, bought low and sold high or I don't know, whatever. Not because of any of that. Not because we're keeping up with the Joneses who have two new cars in their driveways or, or, or whatever. We've got five bedrooms now. None of this stuff gives us confidence. That's nothing to puff your chest out about. People ought to see confidence and contentment dripping from us because we know the end from the beginning because the sovereign God of the universe holds us in his hand and he's promised never to leave us or forsake us. Brothers and sisters, the grave can't keep you. And God will never abandon you. And the path of life is revealed to you. And God's presence is with you. Now and forever. The end from the beginning. Sorry, guys. So let's, let's end how we began. How's your confidence right now? How's your confidence moving into a new year? If it's taken a bit of a beating because of circumstances, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's good for us when our idols abandon us when they fail to give us all that they promised they would. Let's take the opportunity to re renew our trust, renew our confidence in the God who will never disappoint us. He's our protector. He's our provider. He is yours. You are his. I'm going to pray for us, but first I want to read 
two of the best verses in the Bible, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 32. What then, friends? All that you've heard this morning, any of it that's good, any of it that's true, any of it that's eternal, what do we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. We thank you for this song from the hand of King David, this declaration of confidence in a sovereign God. With him, we say that you are our refuge, and with him, we renew again our commitment to run to you in the face of uncertainty and threat. Please prove yourself to be trustworthy. Please prove yourself to be powerful. Please prove yourself again and again and again that your promises are true. Father, I pray that in this mile-long life, however long we have left to live, that you would release us from the worship of false gods and bring us into the temple of your Holy Spirit where we will always be satisfied. Even now, Lord, as we stand together, as we lift our voices to praise you, I pray that we would believe it. Renew our trust in you. Where we've been wavering, where we've been dry, where we have been wandering, please bring us back in. You are our good shepherd. Bring us back into the fold. Usher us into the temple of your praise. Help us to experience again, or perhaps for the first time, Abundant joy, lasting joy. For we pray it in Jesus' name.